left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest on New York's news and talk station 77 WABC. Every Saturday, 2 to 4, it should be appointment radio for all of you. But again, uh, you can check out the previous programs uh, featuring uh, Anthony Weiner on the left, yours truly, Curtis Lee on the right, on our podcast uh, list at WABCradio.com. It's on the stream. Uh, it's on an app. You can get an app here in Kabul. You could hear it, God forbid, if you were hunkered down uh, in Kiev. Uh, you can hear it everywhere. Just make it a point to listen because uh, Anthony has a lot to bring to the table. Uh, just thinking about the Ukraine situation, Anthony, you represented an area both when you were in city council and then when you won the uh, Chuck Schumer seat that he vacated when winning the Senate seat from uh, Alphonse D'Amato. You represented a lot of folks whose uh, country of origin was Russia and Ukraine. And I got to wonder how they must be getting along here on this side when they see their people on the other side in total conflict? Hey, well, on the other side of the globe, even the people that are the combatants, the Russians and the Ukrainians from that part of the world, don't see each other as national as natural enemies. That's part of what's apparently been emerging from at least the, the Russia side of things. A lot of these guys are seeing, they're seeing their brothers there, but... Um, this is this is one of those things, you know, people would always say when you're a politician, you know, what? why would a New York politician be interested in these foreign affairs situations and why do we all stand up and join protests and everything else? It's because nothing that goes on around the globe is too far from New York City neighborhood one way or the other. And the area that I represented in southern Brooklyn, central Queens, it was the at first the landing place of the first refuseniks. And then that second generation when there was glasnost and more freedom and more freedom to come over here. And now there's a lot of, of moving along. But um, I have to tell you if, you, if you believe that there is this natural tension between Ukrainians and Russians, it really doesn't exist. As a matter of fact, many people you'll see in the newspaper now, people changing their online bios that they used to say, I'm an expert in Russia, now I'm an expert in Ukraine because – People, frankly, had never thought that, that one or the other would, would be a particular liability. Um, but there's not tension between the communities. I mean, it is almost universal among the expats that I have met, just chagrin to fear to terror. Because everybody, even the Russians, know someone or has a relative in Ukraine um, that, that they're concerned about. It is just a horror show. Well, Anthony Weiner, is that because the predominant number of Russians and Ukrainians and those from Belarus who came here uh, were part of that refusenik wave, that mostly Jewish, although some uh, Orthodox Christians who came over, it was mostly Jewish. So they have in common the fact they were Jews uh, escaping what they felt was another round of oppression, first the Nazis and the communists. So they have more of that uh, identity together. Whereas if you actually go to Russia and obviously the Ukraine, the mass majority of people in those countries are Orthodox Christians. Yeah, but no, I, I don't. I look. I think ultimately the affinity between the Ukrainian and Russian community is that they just there's so much connection between the, the peoples of the two countries. Now, don't misunderstand this notion that Putin has been trying to perpetrate that Ukrainians are 
the 44 million Ukrainians are dying to get out of the yoke, but they want to be back in the embrace of the Soviet Union. That's clearly not the case. They've said in plebiscites again and again and again, and now they're saying it on the battlefields that that's not the case. But there is not this kind of like what would be an analogy? There is not this kind of tension that you might see in, say, Northern Ireland or uh, in Kashmir. It's not like that. And I think that's part of the challenge that Putin is running into is that he thought he was going to have another situation like in Chechnya where, oh, people, you know, I would love to have you. That's not the case. Um, I think uh, I think that there is there is agreement. Even even the the cheerleaders for Putin, people like Alexander Ovechkin, the hockey player, even they're starting to say, whoa, this is not what we signed up for. Now, whether that has any impact on someone like Putin, I doubt it. Whether the people inside of Russia have access to the to that to to any type of freedom to let them learn that, I doubt it. But um, but the world is clearly seeing that the Ukrainian people and the Russian people are not saying we hate you. We hate each other. It's saying that we have a, a, a lunatic madman who's uh, not to be too glib about it. Who's who's running Russia? That is uh, perpetrating all this. Do you think there's a potential that as this uh, war continues on, the carnage continues on? Putin obviously recognized this wasn't going to be a slam dunk. Three days, and he takes Kiev, and then he takes the other major cities. But rather that because he is now reverting to many of the tactics that he has used. Uh, against the Chechens, uh, against the Syrians, that in fact there may be Russians, many of whom have already protested and gone to jail, but others who emerge and begin building a groundswell for the toppling of the Putin regime. I'm no expert, but it doesn't sound that way. It sounds like Putin has successfully over the course of the last 25, 30 years unplugged the the tools of dissent Literally, in some cases, as it relates to communication with the outside world, the Internet, uh, free press, I think it's very difficult. I think that we're all relying upon someone interceding with Putin that he respects that somehow tells him to scale this back or something resembling a diplomatic solution that I don't think that Ukrainians could swallow. I'm pessimistic. I, I mean, even... You know, part of the challenges within this within Russia is you've got to assume that they're getting information that leads them to to rebel. Now, sure, they're probably getting getting clandestine phone calls from from the other side of the border, but they're certainly not seeing it on social media. They're certainly not seeing it on their own media. And to some degree, this is the same Putin. It's it's a degree, but it's the same Putin that they had been inured to over the over the past generation or so. Um, and so who knows who, who knows if there's even the type of, of 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 swell of public opposition that we assume that there is in Russia? Well, because you mentioned the control of media, control of propaganda. Everybody does propaganda on all sides. Uh, Putin has now said, hey, we'll arrest journalists if they are foreign journalists who are producing pieces in Moscow or anywhere else in Russia. Uh, that are unfavorable, without him saying unfavorable, but, you know, a lie. So, you know, we'll lock them up, put them in the gulags. We have uh, started to move in and close uh, Russian broadcasters, particularly RT, Russian television, very well produced. They have a lot of Americans that work for them, a lot of Brits. Uh, you know, they've had Dennis Miller do shows for them, Larry King. I was Jesse on Dubai. Larry King's show. I was on an RT show with Larry yeah. King. I, I, I didn't realize it until I was done in a year later that I realized that I was a tool of propagandist. Right, but you know how well it was done. No, it, no, it, 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 it was. But let me just, not to quibble here, but this whole notion we have propaganda on both sides, that's a little bit 
ridiculous. Yes, we have a president of the United States who stands up and says, I'm a good president. I give a State of the Union address. Maybe we'll talk about it later. We have a press secretary who answers questions. That is not what that's not propaganda. What that is, is that's how democracies work. Propaganda is state run television where the reporters are state run, where there's no there's no constitutional uh, protection of speech. It's a very, very different thing what goes on there. It's a good reminder to us about in some what important protections that we have. But, you know, to say that there's propaganda on both sides, it still sounds a little bit like some of our, our the Republicans that we've seen out there defending uh, Putin with this false equivalency. Well, that's why I like to watch all points of view. I like to watch RT. I learned things by watching RT that was never brought to our attention. I now see that there's synergy, it seems, with beating the drums of war. I look at CNN, MSNBC, even Fox News. Yeah, we got to get Putin. We got to get Putin. I'm saying, oh, my God, haven't we been down this road before? And now, because the president of Ukraine, who has gone from a zero to a hero, within the course of a year, now he's the world's hero. He's blaming NATO and, to a degree, uh, the United States for not imposing a no-fly zone. He said, you know, more deaths... And you're going to be partly responsible for this. And I'm saying to myself, on no-fly zone, is this guy out of his mind? That means if we're flying our jets, NATO's flying their jets, and then you have these Russian MiGs up in the sky, there's going to be firing. There's going to be uh, planes going down. There's going to be uh, missiles being fired. Is he out of his mind? This will start World War Three. No, he's not out of his mind. He's asking for what's in his interest. He's not necessarily asking what's in our interest or what's in NATO's interest. But I'm going to tell you, Chris, this is hard stuff. You're watching something bordering on genocide if Putin has his way, wiping out this country, 44 million people. He's asking for, for help. I get that. You're exactly right. I agree with you. It seems like an easy thing to do. Let's do a no-fly no zone. But that effectively means our fighters over the skies of basically a neighboring country to to Russia having a dogfight, you know, getting into a war with Russia. That's always been the problem. So when when people say we should be doing more, I think we have to be reasonable about what it means to do more. You, If you think that we should be having a ground war or an air war with Russia in that part of Europe, okay, I don't. Well, not only that, but think of it. We've already imposed a no-fly zone over two countries. After the Persian Gulf campaign, the successful campaign to drive Saddam Hussein out of Kuwait, back to Baghdad, and then Bush 41 said, we go no further, (laughs) we're not rolling our tanks to Baghdad, so stop at the border. Then we imposed a no-fly zone because, remember, Saddam Hussein was going after the Kurds in the north, so we protected the Kurds from his air force. In the South, we were protecting the Shias, us and the Brits and the Italians. And it was a whole coalition. We had that no-fly zone, if memory serves me correct, from like uh, um, 1992. Excuse me. Uh, nine, let me see. The end of the Persian Gulf campaign. So 91, if I'm correct on that, for about 12 years. Yeah, but— And but- every time our, our uh, Air Force or Navy flight uh, squadrons would go up, they were catching SAM missiles. They were catching uh, flak from the Iraqis. Why would we want to subject our guys and gals up in the air to being shot down? Well, hold on a second. First of all, I don't want to relitigate the Gulf War, but the difference is we were saying, all right, this is a, this is a schoolyard where a bunch of gangs have been fighting. We're going to come in and make sure no gangs are going to fight anymore, and we're going to control the peace. We're going to patrol the peace. That's different than, say, Syria, where we didn't put in a no-fly zone, and a lot of people criticized Obama for not doing it. Because we said, look, this is there are actual other combatants there 
that are big boys that have big militaries, and we don't want this this thing in Syria to emerge as being a conflict between us and Russia. That's a tough decision to make. People got slaughtered there. People were slaughtered in Aleppo by the very same Putin, by the way. And I and this is a subject maybe for another time. I, it's great to see the world rallying around, um, rallying around refugees coming out of Ukraine. I would have liked a little of that when it would, they're coming out of, of Syria or when they're coming out of, of South Latin America. I would like a little bit more of that or, 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 when, they were, when, it, when it were people that, that, that maybe were a little harder on visualizing being our relatives. Well, a perfect example would be Libya, Muammar Gaddafi. First he's a friend, then an enemy, then a friend. He gives up the uh, nuclear payload he had to Bush uh, uh, 43. Then he's an enemy. We impose a no-fly zone, if you remember us, the French, the Brits. Uh, Secretary of State uh, Hillary Rodham Clinton was very instrumental in that. We boxed him in. He ends up getting assassinated uh, by a guy with a New York Yankee cap who sticks a twenty-two up his tush and blasts him to the hereafter. And now we have Lindsey Graham, Senator of South Carolina, suggesting that somebody assassinate Vladimir Putin. And we've been down this road before in American history where we've used our CIA, I call them criminals in action, where we've uh, supported insurgents in other countries to execute and assassinate their leaders. And it's sort of like, hey, we, we, we still haven't quite figured out the JFK assassination, but there are some who truly believe he was assassinated uh, specifically for that reason that we were trying to assassinate uh, Fidel Castro in Cuba and so many other All right, Well, let, let, Let's do one rabbit hole at a time, sure. if we could. I mean, Lindsey Graham is showing that he, someone who once carved out this idea that he was a, a conservative hawk and kind of an expert in foreign policy, to now he is the worst type of demagogue. Like whatever kind of thing the guy at the neighborhood pub says to him, he goes out and repeats on camera. We don't want to be a country that says, okay, we're going to resolve conflicts by having leaders assassinated because we want as much as possible the rule of law and people following the rules. And if we're going to have that kind of – it's just a bad, a bad look for us. It's un-American. I, I, don't, think, I don't think we should do it. But, but you did mention something that I think is important to keep in mind, particularly in this moment in our American and in international civic life. This whole idea that always oh, our friend, now he's our enemy, he's our friend, our enemy. Yes, that's right. These things are these are gray areas, a lot of these things. Gaddafi's our enemy, and then he says, I'm going to give up nuclear weapons because you want me to, and I'm going to give up my weapons of mass destruction. And we say, okay, in exchange for that, we are going to do A, B, or C. Same thing in Iran. The Iranians, bad dudes, unequivocally. But they say we're going to give up our nuclear program in exchange for certain things. We say, all right, that's a deal that, that we'll do. It doesn't mean we like these people. It means that we're constantly looking for ways to make things a little bit better and a little bit safer. The big question is, is when you're dealing with someone like Putin, were there things that we sh- are doing now that we should have done when he invaded Chechnya, when he, when he wiped out Grozny, when he, when he was, was poisoning diplomats in, in London when he was when he was uh, helping uh, helping uh, 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 to distort the outcome of our election, when you're dealing with Russia, it's an entirely different thing. And China, for that matter, it's an entirely different thing than when you're dealing with Libya or when you're dealing with Iraq. These guys are not, you know, these these this is a fellow superpower that has nuclear weapons and perhaps a leader who we really don't know how to predict what he's going to do next. But speaking of the Iranians, if you're sitting there in uh, <laughs> Tehran. You're one of the many uh, Ayatollahs. You're looking at one another and say, we had better get that nuclear bomb ASAP. Look at the Ukrainians. They had the third largest number of nuclear weapons 
and they gave them up to Bill Clinton, who bought them and then basically uh, uh, demilitarized them. And uh, the rationale being they may have been sold on the black market. I understand that. But they gave up their entire payload, making them more vulnerable. We saw Gaddafi do the same thing, made him very vulnerable. Wait a minute, wait a minute. But let's see if you're right about that. Let's play this out. Let's assume for a moment that somewhere in Ukraine was 25 nuclear payloads. You think we'd be a safer world right now? I don't think oh, so. I think Ukraine would be safer. You think so? I don't think, Why? I don't think Putin I, go would ahead. invade. Go ahead. Game it out. I don't think. Because they would threaten to fire off their nuclear weapons at Russia. And, and, like, this, and this Putin, this Putin, who has a 20x, 30x, 50x times sure. more nuclear weapons, sure. who, who shows no compunction about destroying entire towns, I'm just saying it's an open question. Well, I'm more worried about Pakistan having nuclear weapons with all the fundamentalists. Who, I don't who uh, live and reside in proximity to where the payload is at any moment, that government could be destabilized. We are safer when there's, there are fewer nuclear weapons in the world, not when everyone is armed with one. Well, I maybe believe. we are. But no, I think well, if you're the Ukrainians now, you're saying, damn, we gave up. We were the third largest possessor of nuclear weapons in the world. We gave it all up to Bill Clinton, who purchased them, and then demilitarized I know, them. I know, but you've stated that now twice, but without playing it out. Okay, so they've got them. They have far, 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 far fewer than Putin. Right now, today, they'd have a nuclear weapon. Maybe they would use it. And then what happens? Yeah, but, but by not having a nuclear weapon, they get turned into speed bumps. It could be. I'm not saying that, that it's I'm, – I'm not saying the counterfactual is any more true than, than what we are seeing on the ground today. I'm just saying I think, generally speaking, fewer, fewer countries in the world having these things. And this is the tough question for people who say – who tore up the, the Iran nuclear deal. You may not have liked the other stuff that Iran might have been getting, but they had given up their nuclear program. That was stated and that was agreed upon, and, um, and, 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 now, it's, and now it's back rolling. Well, Anthony Weiner, speaking of Iran, they're back on the table, according to uh, uh, Pete Buttigieg, who said everything is on the table in terms of increasing energy production, including buying more crude from Iran, maybe giving up uh, purchasing the Russian crude, but buying more crude from Iran. And when we return, a whole bunch of issues uh, to talk about dealing with uh, the Ukraine, and especially all the Russian oligarchs, some of whom you know, some of whom I know, who reside amongst us here in New York City. They live ostentatiously, and soon they're going to be treated like drug dealers, in which all their property gets uh, appropriated. And yet they may not have really committed any crimes. Yeah, And also, when we get back, it took them at being treated like persona non grata. We got to talk about you at the, the Republican convention. I mean, I heard you were uh, you were both the star and the skunk at the at the picnic yep. at the same time. Yep. We got to we got to get into that a yep. little bit. Yep. Anyway, this is what you get every Saturday, two to four. Anthony Weiner on the left, yours truly, Curtis Sliwa on the right. Exclusive to WABC. It's the left versus the right. It's a seventy-seven WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. No, Anthony Weiner, earlier in the day, I was with the Guardian Angels heading out to the St. Patrick's Day Parade in the Rockaways. And on Cross Bay Boulevard in Howard Beach, a big Luke Oil station, open for business, selling Russian uh, gasoline. 
Uh, and they have been threats now of closing off the Russian pipeline, over 500,000 barrels a day that arrive in the United States because of the, uh, uh, the future buys that have already been made. Luke Oil, there are 200 uh, gas stations, uh, mostly in the northeast sector, New York, New Jersey. And uh, the money goes to uh, oligarchs, very friendly with Putin and maybe Putin himself. Uh, without that oil... There's a continual increase in the price uh, of the gallon that we're beginning to see. It's almost four fifty for regular, five dollars for diesel. You go to California, six dollars a gallon, and it just is going to continue to go up and up. So, Buttigieg, our transportation uh, secretary, secretary of transportation, was asked a question yesterday: What other measures uh, does the Biden administration have? And he said everything is on the table. I'm assuming he meant the Keystone Pipeline. He didn't mention that reopening it. But he said even buying increasing more amounts of crude petroleum from Iran, from the Ayatollahs. I mean, we got to burn fossil fuels from somewhere. Why wouldn't we be burning what comes from Canada instead of having to do this dance between Russian crude that's already been purchased on the futures exchange and maybe even buying more from the Ayatollahs in Iran? Well, let me just just. Clear up a couple of things here. First of all, the Luke Oil doesn't have Russian gasoline coming in there. These oil is fungible. It comes from the Middle East. It comes from Russia. It comes from Texas. It comes from the South. It, it's fungible. The market is the market. Now, it somehow somehow has more demand coming on it. Sometimes it has more supply coming into it. it would, prices were very low and no one was traveling. There weren't airlines flying, so there's very low demand. Prices came down. Obviously, a lot of what's going on in the price spikes now, the, the thing about oil that's always frustrating is that someone sneezes in the Middle East and the prices go up because of the future price. But when there's a glut, it takes forever for the price to come down. So this whole idea that you're, there's, a, like, you know, that there's a tap that comes on or off is just foolish. Another way that we can drive the Russians out of business is not to buy any crude, is not to put any gas in our cars, is to do complete this drive down demand. It's I don't you know just I don't understand why everyone says oh we've got to drive up supply that's the only way to do this this is ground ball economics here you can also drive down the demand which is what we were doing over the course of the last several years now we're in a crisis now right so we have the strategic petroleum reserve we have these pipelines you can turn that pipeline on tomorrow and it wouldn't do that much to really help the price today if you really care about putting the ayatollah out of business. If you really care about putting Putin out of business, if you really care about taking the strength away from the Saudis in our foreign policy, then stop using so much natural uh, – stop using so, so much crude oil. Stop doing that. We have to change the way we approach this. If you don't believe in saving our globe and saving our world, okay, that's fine. Do it for your own interest. Do it because you don't like us being at the beck and call of these petroleum countries. But to say that, oh, my goodness, I'm shocked to see that prices are up. They're always going up. We, we can't continue this. We can't continue to do this. And, and, and so, so to, to suddenly wake up after we had the worst conservation um, president in American history who wouldn't even say we, we have to do anything to reduce our, 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 um, our dependence. By the way, let's say one other thing. At the time when Barack Obama was, was spearheading this increase in, in our, our capacity as a country, that was nothing really that he did. All it really was that we just had because of problems they were having overseas, the United States market seemed like a much more attractive place to be drilling and extracting from. And so they did. Then it wasn't. And now it's not again. I mean, I'm just saying that these, it's not like you're turning on a spigot 
and it's going to drive prices down. The biggest thing to drive prices down is reducing demand. All right, but remember, you mentioned President Barack Obama. He uh, encouraged green-lighted uh, fracking. Uh, that is not anything that uh, President Joe Biden is doing, even though he likes to call himself Scranton Joe, Pennsylvania Joe. Pennsylvania continues to frack. Uh, they've turned the areas on the New York State border that were almost like Appalachian-like in terms of the poverty, the flight, uh, to very prosperous areas. Yet on the New York side, then Governor Cuomo insisted, no, no, no. I'm, I'm assuming that uh, Governor Hochul, for the time being, is saying no. And if she gets elected, she'll continue to say no to fracking yeah, on the some, New York side. Some, some people get rich from fracking. Some people get rich from drilling oil. Some people get rich from burning coal. Yeah. There are going to there are people who short term are short term winners when you allow these technologies to continue and to flourish and encourage them as they did under the Trump administration. But is your philosophy but, or the Bloomberg philosophy as it came to smoking cigarettes, raise the price, tax it substantially to the point it's seventeen dollars a pack. Less people smoke, which is true. Less people are smoking now. It's a very expensive uh, habit to have, especially if you're buying legal uh, cigarettes. Uh, so by the price going up. The taxes are going to remain the same uh, on the uh, gasoline, depending on what state you are. The federal taxes will remain the same. Uh, is your idea by having high prices, it forces people to use less? Well, that's the effect of it. I think that our, our the, the, the basis of our gasoline tax is that people that drive cars should pay for the expenses of fixing up our roads or bridges. That's why we have a gas tax. So that kind of use tax, uh, I'm, I'm totally fine with. I mean, the cigarettes is a bad example since the taxes were so high that now it's being evaded wildly and the people are, 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 are just getting it off of Indian reservations, smuggling it from the Carolinas. Well, when we come back, uh, you know Russian and Ukrainian oligarchs. I know them. They're in our neighborhoods. Uh, they're here in New York City. There's a move now to seize their property as if they were drug dealers in advance of actually being charged with any crimes. I don't know if that's legal. That's what DeSantis in Florida says. We'll discuss that up next because... This is the epicenter where a lot of the oligarchs from both sides have homes, have businesses, and definitely have a lot of equity. As we continue on, Anthony Weiner on the left, yours truly, Curtis Lee, on the right, every Saturday, 2 to 4, exclusively here on WABC. we got to talk about poop throwers, too, buddy. It's the left versus the right. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. You're so right, Anthony Weiner. Later on, we got I got to give you my personal update on Poop Man. Uh, who had smeared the feces in the woman's face uh, on the number two platform, 241st Street in the Bronx, then was cut loose, only to be uh, charged with a hate crime against a Jewish man in Crown Heights uh, in Brooklyn, only to be cut loose. And then he did a a video that went viral challenging everyone to come up to 241st and play him some hoops. I went up there. I was about an hour late. He was playing hoops. And apparently, according to the locals, this guy can do a crossover. He can go to the hoop. He knows how to play ball. Yeah, because you're you're. I notice you're ducking responsibility here. I, you know, I, we've asked our listeners to ask questions that they might have, any question they might have about poop-related instances in the subways. 
Because I have here across from me, I mean, Curtis, you're arguably the foremost authority on both things, both on subways and yes. poop. Yes. So I don't understand, and this has been national news, why we have not had you on the news everywhere answering all the questions that we have about defecation, transmission through the air. You know, and I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated by this. I had no idea that poop throwing was the well, problem that it is. Having, having been a victim of that when locked up, I was arrested 76 times in, within 13 years. This happened in Detroit, Detroit House of Correction, where the inmates wanted to get at me. I was locked up in a cell, eight by four foot cell, and they introduced me to defecation education, in which they take a pail, you can imagine, fill it up with their... Uh, okay, so wait, let me just interrupt you. The challenge of this subject, Curtis, there is a TMI level that we have to be aware of. Like, we can understand, we want to talk poop only to the point where it protects us on the subway from being poopified ourselves. I'm an expert, because I have to protect myself in that cell. Exactly. I kind of imagine you on your, uh, having one of those Batman-style gadget belts, where somewhere you pull up a a poop screen, and I'm like, all right, I'm ready for you. And by the way, the cell uh, in the Detroit House of Correction, at one time it housed Jesse James. They say, hey, this is Jesse James' cell. Well, we'll talk about that later okay. on. I'll give you a breakdown of all of that. But there is a move now by the Department of Justice, uh, our um, attorney general, uh, and um, U.S. attorneys uh, throughout America, especially in New York and uh, Florida, where there are many oligarchs who are both from Russia, Ukraine, and Belarus, to seize their property, seize their equity, seize their assets, seize their yacht, seize anything that they have ownership of here in the USA and even uh, amongst our foreign allies. The question is, is this legal? I mean, how do you do that uh, when, in fact, they're not the ones making the decision to invade the Ukraine? That's, well, wait, but, that's Vladimir Putin. No, but, I, but this, is, uh, if you, this is the way Putin has evaded problems in the past, is that he says, oh, you sanctioned me all you want. But I have this group, and just so people understand how it's structured, there is this group of most favored people that we're going to call the oligarchs for the purpose of this conversation, that Putin essentially parks his money and his resources with, this is the theory, parks his money and resources with them. So when we go out and do these sanctions on Putin, he just doesn't really mind because he has Bob and Joe and Mary and everyone else, these oligarchs around the world, who are holding on to his money in exchange for being essentially, you know, almost like the, the rulers of the country. So now this new set of sanctions said, okay, we're on to you, buddy. Your family members, your friends, known associates, these oligarchs are now, now their assets can, can be seized. The problem that we have here in New York, and I, you know, I, I put out a book of ideas when I ran for mayor, and one of them was to have uh, an extra transaction tax for anyone who was buying these fancy apartments. I said over $5 million dollars. And you were not going to live in it was one criteria. And two, if his view of foreign national was a second one, with two extra taxes, just to basically basically as a way to, to, to raise revenue. The problem is here in New York, and for a lot of reasons that some lawyers would say are good, we have this LLC, Limited Liability Corporation, structure that allows people to be shielded from knowing who they even are. So finding them is – finding the assets is harder than it sounds. Now, in some cases, like a yacht, for example – 
or someone who bragged that I bought this $30 million apartment. Okay, it gets a little easier. Those are hard things to hide once you've made them public. But it's hard to do. But as far as the legality, that's why these sanctions, people think, are really going to start to get Putin's attention because the, the, the rich and fancy guys around him are going to start well, to say, hey, boss, let's, this let's is a give, problem. Let's give the example of the condos. Uh, uh, we see that condos are being bought up here in New York City, even though business has not returned. Still, about 75% of the offices are empty of their workers. And I'm saying to myself, well, that's a lot of that foreign money that gets poured into these condos, and then they flip it within a year. The city's happy. The state's happy because they get taxes every time it's flipped. Mm, yeah, but hold on. It's, it's not a flip thing that they're doing. They're parking their money. Yeah, parking it. But right, but case- they're, not, they're not doing it to do it at a transaction. They're doing it because if you have $5 million worth of rubles, which yes. can be worth 50 cents tomorrow, sure. you want to be either in U.S. real estate or U.S. dollars. Those are the two places, or you know, T-bills, basically, U.S. backed credit. But real estate in New York is probably the second most secure real, uh, um, place you can yeah. park your money. So they're quite literally parking it. They're not doing quick transactions. And now that goes on. Well, I'll give city. an example. Not far from us, uh, they're redoing the Waldorf Astoria. One time, this is where all the U.S. presidents would go when they were staying in New York City. And then the Red Chinese purchased it, and the U.S. presidents no longer stayed there. But they're turning it into condos. They're continuing the building and when I've asked the uh, engineers down there, they, oh, they're all purchased by foreigners, even pre-purchased. Yeah, a lot of them are. By the way, I'll tell you a funny story about the Waldorf. That's where um, the New York delegation stays and the president stays and the Secretary of State says during the U.N. General Assembly. And uh, my former wife or soon-to-be ex-wife, uh, Huma Abedin, she was the, the deputy chief of staff to Hillary Clinton. And every so often, Secret Service guys or whomever, I guess it's Secret Service, would walk in and go like this, and I'm putting my finger up to my lips, like, be quiet. And they'd walk around with these devices, and she was always told, don't talk in this building. Because I think at the time, it was, it was I don't know, it was owned by, I don't know, it was owned by the Emirati- National. Emiratis, uh, and then it changed to yes. Chinese, whatever it is. But it's funny you use that example of where they're, now they're moving in, probably all the listening devices are still in there <laughs> from when they're, but, but yeah, but I, I think the idea is right. And even if we did not have Putin do this round of bad things, yeah. I think that there's a public policy argument for not letting New York be a place well, that I'll people can stash, the can Hudson, stash their money. The Hudson Yards, ghost town. They're still building because obviously the contracts were already signed before the lockdown and pandemic. They're still building these condos. You know doggone well there aren't enough Americans to buy up all those condos. And a lot of them, I don't have knowledge of that like I do of the Waldorf historical conversion, are going to be bought by foreigners to do exactly what you said, park their right. yen, their rubles, uh, whatever uh, the currency is of their uh, country of origin. Or something less pernicious that's just a pied de terre. Or it's they, you know, some, some wealthy Chinese family wants to have a place that their daughter can live while she's going to NYU. I mean, here's where it gets complicated. A lot of it is completely fine and good for New York's economy. Like, I don't mind that there's someone who wants to buy a $5 million condo or a $50 million condo, and I don't mind that they want to be in New York City. You hate to buy, you know, that same condo, I don't even know if there's such a thing of that condo in Kansas City or something like that. I, th- that's fine. And I think that there's a reason why a lot of people in the real estate development community would say, why do we want to discourage it? Well, the reason we don't – I don't believe a 5 t- or 10 or a 15 percent VIG on someone who wants to buy that place is going to dissuade them from buying it. And I think it is reasonable for us to say if you want this to be the kind of place that your investment is safe, you've got to pay extra taxes. Well, now, uh, based on your experience, having represented uh, an area of Sheepshead Bay, Brighton Beach, that whole area, 
which has a lot of immigrants uh, who have come from Belarus, who have come from Russia and the Ukraine. But they have feet in both ponds. They have places of residence in the Ukraine, Belarus, Russia. They have businesses there. They also have places of residence here. Uh, some of them may have uh, dual citizenship. I'm, I'm not aware of particulars, but I'm sure some of them have applied and gotten it. Do you, you just seize their property? Don't you have to do investigations no, no. first? No, no, no. Those people wouldn't be subject to any sanctions. No, no, those people. No, the only people who are subject to the sanctions that are presently on the on the books are the people who are literally identified by name as as corrupt people who who have who have taken and pillaged money from from the Russians as part of their partnership with Putin. That's a distinct group of people. Just if you have a Russian last name and you have a a, a Lamborghini parked outside, you're you're under no danger. And by the way, ninety nine point nine 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 percent of people who are from those countries or family members there who emigrated recently or go back and forth have businesses on both sides of the pond. They're horrified by this. This isn't. This isn't what they want. This isn't what a, 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 a Russian-American businessman wants or a Ukrainian-American businessman wants or even someone – even probably someone doing a, a responsible above-board business in Russia. No one wants it. You can't fly out of Russia right now. You can't. You can't leave now. I mean they're, soon they, they, they may make, they may make um, emergency powers. The Russians may, may say that no one can leave there. They, they have no press there. There's no investment there. The ruble is in, is, is in the dumps. No actual Russian businessman is like, okay, this is great. Let's keep doing this. Understood. But now you will probably have anywhere from 4 million or more refugees flooding into the nearby NATO countries. Flooding. Yeah. Uh, It is going to be the largest movement uh, of uh, migrants from one country to another country in our lifetime. Americans now are very sympathetic. NATO countries are very sympathetic. What happens months from now when there are millions and millions of displaced people who are taking up jobs, taking up housing that doesn't exist because there's housing crunches in those countries just like there is here in the United States? Will we uh, begin to lose that verve, that, that, that emotional support that we've expressed for the Ukrainians now Especially if uh, the price of gasoline is $5 a gallon or $6 a gallon. I think it begins to wear thin where people are very strongly behind the Ukrainians now. But you know, it's all about economics. It's all about pocketbook issues. And it's all about what becomes of these refugees. If, in fact, they never end up going back, even if there is a transition of power. No, it's not. There are principles here at stake. And it's a very American principle, the idea that we're a country that takes in refugees. But it's not going to be largely our burden. I mean, it's largely going to be Europe. And and uh, and look, we have a situation now, I think I read a statistic that said nine out of every hundred people on earth right now are refugees or displaced from their, from their homelands right now. Refugees problem is a gigantic problem. And I think that we should be concerned about it. And all of this is going to mean to show support for the Ukrainians means making sacrifice. Right. It's not it doesn't mean posting something on Twitter and with a with a a Ukrainian flag emoji. It means we're going to have to make some sacrifices. And that might mean that we take in our share of the refugees. And that's not that's true of Ukraine. It's true of Latin America. It's true of 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 Syria. I mean, you know, we all remember the horrible the horrible scenes of 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 a mother holding her dead baby on on the washed up on on the shores of of, I guess it was Turkey. It was Turkey. Turkey. I mean, and our heart goes out. To, well, that's fine. Hearts and minds, that's, I mean, hopes and prayers and whatever it is. But, yeah, that means that we, we make sacrifices. I don't believe, I believe that we should have 
the type of country that lives up to the aspirations of our founding fathers, that lives up to the aspirations of the people that came before us who were refugees themselves, and say, we stand with the Ukrainians like we stand with other refugees. We are a place that when you are in need, you can come here and we will do our best. Doesn't mean we're going to take everybody. Doesn't mean we're going to do everything. But we should do our part. Now, you do realize as a Democrat, you could eventually uh, be uh, burying your Democratic majority because I have a feeling the mass majority of these Ukrainians, if they do come to the United States, if they do get a green card, if they do qualify for citizenship, may start following in the footsteps of many Russians and those from Belarus and especially the UK, Ukraine have done uh, of late, and that's sign up as Republicans. Oh, yeah. You think that, that when people come here as uh, refugees— it's going to be the Republicans, your pals on Fox News, who are going to be clapping, oh, yeah, let's have more refugees, let's take them in, let's make them part of our communities, let's make them feel welcome, let's provide them with the services they need so that they can raise their kids. You think it's going to be the Republicans doing that? Oh, uh-huh. absolutely. Oh, yeah, that'll be funny. That, that'll be interesting to see. I, I think more likely it would be it will be that they will see that the, 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 the party of Joe Biden was the party that said, listen, we're, we're prepared to make sacrifices for the greater good here. But in all, all kidding aside about this thing, this is going to be a horrible human a, a disaster on a human scale. And if Putin continues what he's doing, which looks a lot from the early days, like he is attempting genocide in Ukraine, that is not something that some U.S. policy is going to necessarily change. And hopefully this comes to end, end soon. This is not something that we should just look at through political So through if, political if it does uh, continue to drag on. If uh, the battering of the cities, if they create safe flight zones and Ukrainians continue to flee and they continue to be accepted by Hungary or Romania or Germany or Poland or other NATO countries, what, if anything, can be done to Putin? Because his goal now is to take over the Ukraine lock, stock and barrel to impose a puppet regime. And then obviously we know there'll be an insurgency. There'll be a long, drawn out fight. Uh, do we continue to provide them with weapons? Do we uh, empower our CIA, which um, I don't trust, I never have, a dollar for you, $10 for me. They seem to be unregulated. They have an open checkbook. It's very roguish. Uh, how do we do this without itself creating more problems like it did with the Mujahideen uh, in Afghanistan, driving the Russians out and other insurgencies that we've supported around the world. Oh, I, I have no idea how it ends. I mean, I, it's going to be palpably different than any of those. You know, this is a this is not a small country. This is not a small corner of a country. This is, you know, 44 million people in Ukraine. You know, even if some of them leave, it's still, I, I mean, the, Putin is bogged down. His, his economy is in a mess. He is now bogged down with this. The Ukrainian people have shown loudly and clearly that they're prepared to fight and defend their country. The Russian soldiers themselves are looking like they're not very enthusiastic about this fight. This is, you know, this is Afghanistan on steroids for the, for the Russians, and I don't know how they get out of it. But the human carnage involved, putting aside the geopolitical implications of the human carnage involved, is just epic. And by the way, I found that statistic. One in 95 of all people alive today on the planet, men, women, children, um, have been forced to leave their home. So there's a lot of refugee challenge we already face, and this is going to make it a lot worse. And uh, what, if anything, should we do in reference to our European allies and their ability to house them, feed them, clothe them, give them jobs? They're already promising them jobs, promising them housing. And I'm saying to myself, 
a lot of these countries, I know Poland, I know Hungary, I know Romania, they're short on housing. There's going to be some anger at some point from their own citizens when they say, why are you giving all this free stuff to them? And we don't even have any of this stuff yeah, available but of to course, us. Yes, yes. I mean, that's right. That's what happens. That's why, that's why we're always better off trying to solve these, help countries solve these problems within their own borders than force them to migrate. And it's going to be this way in spades as global climate change gets worse and worse and people have to leave their homelands for that because they can't find food or they're being forced out by floods or whatever it is. Totally. I, I, I think it is going to be a completely untenable situation, not just for those countries, but for the victims of this carnage. I mean, OK, yes, it's going to have a political cost. You're, you're going to leave, we don't have enough jobs. We don't have enough food and everything else. But there's also children who are now walking somewhere by the thousands and thousands walking Tens of miles, maybe hundreds of miles to try to get to the Polish border or something. So to avoid. That, these are children, okay? Let's just take a moment to think about that. Think about how many children right now are being forced to, to wake up tomorrow morning in a subway, in a, in a subway tube as their explosions are, as, and, and their, their homes have been blown up and they have nowhere to go. These so, are children. So with that, with that all, all of that true, is it incumbent upon the president of the United States who says, I'm not talking to Putin. To figure out a compromise, Putin has said, I want the Ukraine demilitarized. I want Zelensky out. Uh, something needs to be done to the Russian-speaking areas who continue to be battling against Ukrainian forces. Does there have to be somebody who is powerful enough to intervene so that there will not be the continued carnage and the continued flight? Well, if you're saying someone intervened to tell the Ukrainian people to capitulate and to surrender and to agree to all these things they never will because they're in a sovereign nation. I don't, you, don't, you don't need Biden for that. That's not going to happen. If that was going to happen, the Ukrainian people would be doing it right now. They'd be voting with their feet and walking off the battlefield. What Putin wants, and this is the challenge of this so-called diplomatic solution, what Putin wants is Ukrainian to, to basically surrender their statehood. And I don't see what kind of deal there is to be made I mean, that's the challenge. Putin has to find some way to save face, and the only way he's laid out to save face is for the Ukrainians to give up their country. Well, coming up, we also have to talk about uh, your reaction to President Joe Biden's State of the Union address and also, uh, more importantly, some of the issues that are so pertinent to us here in New York City. The incredible rise in subway crime, 200 percent in just one week, even though Mayor Eric Adams has launched a crackdown. You don't want to go anywhere it's Anthony Weiner on the left. Yours truly, Curtis Lee, on the right. And, and also, you know, we have to get it. We've gotten some numbers about about how our show is doing and a little research they've done here at the station. We ah. should talk about that when we get back. Uh, some of it's fairly embarrassing for me. So you're, I mean, the, you're the analytics guy here. Hey, listen, I am not a radio guy, and so I've been taking a lot of, like, radio you know, 101 classes with people, and they showed me some of the data. Apparently... You're good at radio. That's all I'm going to say about what the information shows. <laughs> I better be after 32 <laughs> years. It's the left versus the right. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. Anthony Weiner, uh, you have been exposed to the analytics that are done in radio. Very similar to in sports, baseball, football, basketball. They're all into analytics. 
And we've been on air, this makes a full month broadcasting Saturdays uh, from 2 to 4 on WABC. You can always get in on the podcast at WABCradio.com. What does the breakdown of the analytics show? Well, I assume you've gotten all this and you're just humoring me. because no, now no, I to be am honest learning... with you, I, I, they have not shared that with me. All right. Well, let me give you – so uh, <laughs> let me let the listener in in real time to like what I – so I'm not a radio guy. I am obviously – you know, I'll do all the jokes about a face name made for radio. I'll do all the jokes about my coming back and all the challenges that I've had and everything else. There's also been a lot of things written about our show recently. We should talk about that a little bit, too. Sure. I mean, you know, people with their hot takes about Curtis Lee and Anthony Weiner. Many of them are right. Some of them are wrong. But anyway, so I've been very interested. I want to get better at this. And you've been great. You've been giving me lots of tips. Your, your number one thing that you told me to do is agree with you as frequently as possible to, to get on the good <laughs> side of our listeners. I'm not going to do that. But so, so the, the, big, the, big, the big number, obviously, you might have heard already. They're talking about it here a little bit and some – that are, are we're up. We're doing very well. We like our ratings are up. I don't know if proprietary. I'm allowed to say how much. I'm very excited. We're doing well. That's like, your lifeline. That's your umbilical that's what cord. People say. Ratings down. You're a person of no consequence. People say, but when they, you know, they get this whole thing called this ratings book, and they ask. They actually take some of the people that are that are, have have said what they're listening to, or these little devices that they wear on their belt to show what they're listening to, and they ask them why. Okay. So of the new people that joined that listened into the show. The number was 71%, number one by far. They said, more of Curtis. Mm. I'm like, Curtis is on like 24 <laughs> hours, I mean, 21 hours out of 24. Uh, uh, the only people that can possibly want more of Curtis, or it must be some way that your narcoleptic cats get, get, get to sleep better, <laughs> is by hearing your voice in the background. Who could possibly? This is why some of this research doesn't make a lot of sense. Who would possibly want more of Curtis? So anyway, so that's what 71% of, of all the questions. Now, what's a close second? Can you guess like why people are tuning in now? Oh, uh, the history of talk radio is littered with listeners waiting for the engine, the uh, choo-choo Charlie engineer to crash into a mountainside. Well, there's a little bit of that. There is a little bit of what I call the the uh, um, the rubbernecker effect. Yeah. Like people just want to watch the train wreck happen. No, that's number four. That's, oh, okay. Wow, that's, that's, that's good. That's in the top that's five. That's good. But number two. What Wiener did with the laptop? <laughs> How many QAnon knuckleheads are there out there that listen to this? For that, that's what they want. And so, here's what we will do. I will tell you. I know what we should do. Do we have? A, is there like a podcast or anything that we do with this show, or, do, or what do we do? Well, we just podcast the show itself. We, we do a separate podcast. Got it. So people can go on and they can like put in their subscription yeah. feed to pop yeah. up. Okay, go ahead. Here's what we should do. I will, since if this is really what people want to know. I'm not going to waste – here's what I'm going to do. We'll do some special content around what happened to my laptop. And for yeah. those of you who don't remember the story, and I, you know, I, I don't want to joke about it too much because some people think this is a really very serious thing. They believe that when my laptop was seized, it led to Comey reopening the investigation yeah. into Hillary Clinton, which led, they believe, to the, the election going to Donald Trump. And so there is this QAnon theory out there that the laptop – was that there was information plant? I think the, I'm not a QAnon expert. I wonder. There was information planted in that laptop, which also that because I have it is the only reason I'm alive. That I would be assassinated otherwise because I know too much. Something crazy like that. So I will. I will at some future point inform. Yeah, the I listeners. think we should have a soul. It's Anthony Weiner 
by yourself to explain all these I things. I don't know. I don't know. I think this should be, what was that, like, Rivera show when he opened up the the, the safe of somebody? Al Capone. We should do a little something like okay. that. Okay. Where one day we have the big yeah, reveal. Yeah, yeah, no. When we're, well, I don't know, when we're, but, but that's the number You're right. two that, thing. That, that is, I get asked that. All the, is he walking around with, with his laptop? With the laptop. Right, with the right. laptop. So I don't want to say where it is because I want to make And sure sometimes that, they confuse it with the Hunter Biden laptop. I say, right. you mean Hunter Biden. They said, oh, no, yeah, that one, too. No, but the thing <laughs> is about this, and I could, and it's sometimes, you know, Comey completely lied about the whole thing and everything else, and he eventually had to apologize to Congress because he lied uh, in a testimony to Congress. All that putting aside, of the, I get a lot of people who stop me on the streets and saying some nice things. Sometimes they're a little bit nasty. Sometimes they're, they're whatever. And then there's the crazy ones who have this certain look in their eye. You're probably familiar with them. They're usually carrying poop in one hand and asking me this question <laughs> while they're doing it. And they're the ones who, like, they're kind of, like, nodding conspiratorially towards me. The laptop. Uh, where? The laptop? You want to tell me where the laptop is? <laughs> so that was the number two, the number two. And the number three was very was similar. So the number one, just to record, yep. of the new people that are tuning in, they want more Curtis. Again, yep. that's got to be a mistake. Two, what happened? Number three is they want to wait on hold to yell at me for electing de Blasio. <laughs> they, blame me, they blame me for de Blasio. How, I mean, that's not. Uh, I do, too. Oh, if you Curtis, hadn't had your Curtis. personal situation, you would have been the mayor. It's quite a different thing. I, to even say though that I would have been a, a fierce critic of you, nowhere near as much as I was of De Blasio. Although I will tell you, we're going to talk about this in the next hour. Eric, right. Eric Adams has actually, in his first eight weeks, been worse. Ah, than that's De Blasio. A, not even close. By the way, in the number number four thing, as we go to break, I'll tell you when we get back. But it has something to do with the bumper that calls you the heavyweight king. Listen closely to what they call me. Good, good. I can't wait. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. You heard that? Yes. You uh, heard that? Anthony Weiner, you were in the midst of doing analytics of our first month together, doing this show every Saturday from 2 to 4. And as I remind people, it's like anything. When you binge watch Netflix, you want to look at the pad, listen to it, and watch the previous episodes. You can do that by going to WABCradio.com. We will talk to management so that all of these questions that people have indicated uh, in their responses in the ratings can be answered by you at length because they seem to be like common. Well, I, I know. I sense that you're making fun. But by the way, did you listen to that bumper they made for us? From the right, heavyweight king. I don't I don't know. Who, yeah, can we replay yeah, that? Yeah, let's hear the, the, just the part that goes. Like, the opening. Uh, the opening. Because uh, I want everyone to hear how they describe me. You're heavyweight okay. king. Listen to how they describe all me. Right, all right. Hold on. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC <laughs> well, just, Wait a minute. Uh, wait a minute. Everyone, first of all, every boxer gets his thing. You know, his name. I will concede you are the heavyweight king. Uncontested but heavyweight king. I am king. a heavyweight. It, te- technically, I am 218 pounds. Well, so frankly, I qualify. You as might a, want to hit the salad bar. I'm just <laughs> saying that. I'm just going to put that out there. But. At least give me something. And by the way, all you have to do, and don't do this, listeners, you just have to Google the nicknames for me. It can, like, there's a few that actually pop up for me. I I think that what you're trying to communicate here, Curtis, is we don't know how long this wiener guy's going to be around. We don't want to give him 
He might be the tomato can of this transaction. A title. A title. Yeah, we don't want to give him a title because well, then we got to, you know, who, we, who knows. I, I don't know how much you weigh, but you're what we generally call a skinny Bellini, and you've been that your whole life. I would say you're probably a welterweight. I think I am. 160 is yeah. as well. Uh, no, 160 is middle, middleweight, I think, right, is right, middle. middleweight. So I'm, I'm, I'm in so that you, you 150. you need to demand middleweight champ. No, no. I don't, <laughs> by the way, and I don't want to sound first. I don't want to be a diva here. I've been here, I've been here for four weeks. I can barely figure out where the on-off button is. But I just think that if you're going to do a fancy bumper like that, you know, John Katzmatidis, I've got a fancy – got to tell you, I, and I was, I was joking about this to you off the air – at the old WABC, I tell you, it was like mice, and there was like everyone was walking around like it's the end of the world. This place is is, is an oh, yeah. amazing facility. Oh, this is Upalachia. And it's nothing but professionals here. Everyone really seems energized. You know, can you can you get your, your marketing guys to get me at least a name? I don't know how long I'm going to be on the show, but at least get me something. <laughs> give me a little title. Yeah, we'll give you one of those uh, faux belts, you know, that – Sometimes the different boxing federations will give a champion right. uh, a, a, a nondescript uh, belt. There, yeah, there must have been a Jewish boxer back in the day that had a good oh nickname. Oh, my God. I mean, I'm, I'm not, again, I... Uh, it was Max Bear, Bonnie Ross. I know, but we need... I, all I'm saying, and I'm not being demanding, yes. because you're, you're definitely 1A, I'm 1C or whatever it is. I think if you're going to get Heavyweight King, which you deserve... That bumper should say something like, and slightly undernourished competitor, something like that. You know? yeah, I'm, I'm thinking there was a young man, uh, Russian, Orthodox yes. Jewish. I know who you're thinking of. Busted leg, gets in against the champion from Puerto Rico. I, I saw the fight. David Foreman, I want to say, or Foreman maybe? Close, it's yeah. close. And I got to tell you, this guy took a beating. He would not go down. He, his, basically, his leg was broken. Yeah. And what a heart, a heart of a lion. But as you know, what generally happens when you go into the ring That's and true. you take a beat down, it takes its toll. Luckily, he's out of boxing. Luckily, he's out of boxing. But I'm surprised with the many people coming up to you in the street that they're not offended by the hat you're wearing now. You're wearing a New York Islanders hat, which to me, a Ranger fan, is so offensive. I hate the Islanders with a passion. You know whenever the Islanders go into the garden— the Boo Birds are out in force, going back to the Stanley Cup championships uh, that they used to have uh, in the uh, in the old uh, stadium out in uh, Nassau, Nassau County, Coliseum. Yep. W- which was like a barn. But with Bobby Nystrom, Trotz, Smith, and Goal, uh, we, we, we hated them with a pat, and still do when they Correct. come into it, the garden. As a matter of fact, sometime during the third period of just about any Ranger game. Someone will start a will have the one chant potfin blanks. Yes, you know, no matter when it is, someone from the blue seats will do that. So here's the story about why I became an Islander fan. I was cutting my teeth, learning, uh, becoming a hockey fan at the exact time in the early 1970s when the Islanders came into the league, and everyone was a Ranger fan, obviously, and the the Rangers were the were the dominant team. The idea to a nine-year-old that you can follow a team from the beginning, you know, the, the Rangers had such a storied history, like the Yankees, for example, such a storied history that the idea that you can follow a team from the very beginning was mind-blowing to me. Like, I didn't understand the notion of expansion. Like, what do you mean it's a new team? I'm there. I'm, I'm all there. And also it had my favorite player, Chico Resch, who people remember Billy Smith, but Chico Resch, number one, was, was the guy that I, I really made because in 1975 when I was first kind of understanding stuff, he – he led this amazing run where they came back from four games down against uh, Pittsburgh and then almost did it in the following series against Philadelphia. Anyway, this is without a sports show, but 
But so that's how I became an Islander fan. And um, now my well, son, my, you know, in a lot of respects, that's why people in '62 became Met fans. 100. percent But and the other thing to keep in mind, and this is something I have to explain to non-New Yorkers: Brooklyn is Long Island. Now, you know, we don't call ourselves that, yeah. but when you look at the Islander logo and look at a map of Long Island, it includes Brooklyn but and Queens. When the Islanders transported themselves to Barclays Center, it was a disaster. Not for me, it wasn't. I took the 4-5. I, I live in Lower <laughs> Manhattan, took the 4-5. I went to – now, if you live on Long Island, getting yeah. to the Coliseum was, was fine. Mm. If you're like me and I don't like to drive to games, it's, it's not, it wasn't the easiest trip to make. And by the way, I, w- I went to my first uh, first game with Jordan out to Barclays to uh, U- UBS. Oof. It's a beautiful building. Getting there is a house of pain. But anyway, we do, I, I don't want this to be right by a, Belmont Racetrack. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's a beautiful arena. I'm glad it's open. I think the fact that it opened late in the season is one of the reasons the Islanders are having a lousy season. But all of that being said, that's why I'm wearing an Islander but hat. Let me let me equate. Look, I could have easily jumped on board the Mets. I, in fact, the first professional baseball game I ever went to was at the Polo Grounds. Was the Mets who lost almost every game? I can remember Casey Stengel, the manager, Mob Thronberry at first base, uh, Richie Ashburn in center field. I really liked him. He came from Philadelphia. Uh, I mean, it was Choo Choo Coleman, uh, catcher. I mean, a, a team of losers. Yeah, and uh, I never got impressed by that. Yeah, but hold on, it's young when you're a kid. When you're older, it kind of becomes a source of pride. You know, I'm, I'm a Jets fan, and we're constantly we're in the seventh year of our five-year plan. I get that. When you're a kid, you want a winner. So I became a Mets fan because, again, that window of time, 71, 72, uh. 73, 72, the, the, the Mets went to the World Series. My favorite play was Felix Mian, smaller guy who choked up. I was a little kid, too. I always had to choke up. So my, my manager, my, my coaches would say choke up like Felix Mian. So it there always has to be. And when, Oh, and when the footnote on the Islander thing is – Hockey fans know they became good really fast. 1975, they beat the Rangers oh, in the best please, two out of three. Oh, please, don't remind me. Don't so, remind me. So it became – and by the way, you know who was announcing uh, um, Islander games at the time? John Sterling, who's, yep. who, they, who they, does – Yeah, don't remind me. Anyway. Um, so I anyway, have so, a quick side note. Yeah. He – when we had the Yankees here at WABC, he would do the postgame show. Even if the Yankees lost, which is like you might as well <laughs> impale yourself with a broken uh, yeah. uh, Roger Clemens baseball bat from Mike Piazza. He would go on and on, and I would do the post-post show. This guy would never stop talking. <laughs> I, and he would keep repeating bad things that had happened to the Yankees. But, yeah, I mean, the sports is synonymous. It's synonymous. And it's always been a part of your life. In fact, today it's interesting. I'm taking you on the time machine. I was at the start of the uh, St. Patrick's Day Parade in the Rockaways, which is the first of the many St. Patrick's Parades all through March. And that's an area you represented in Congress. That's that's an area that you had uh, quite the primary battle against Melinda Katz, who was the mother of my two youngest sons. Uh, You beat her. You were both city council people at the time. Well, she was in assembly. assembly. And uh, but the people out there said, oh, Curtis, I got to tell you. The guy was always there, you know, our Congressman Al Meeks. We don't often see him. Anthony Weiner, he was there at parish basketball games. Oh, I, I want to let, let me just say this. Two things. You know, one, I love parades. Polit- some politicians do. I love parades. There's nothing like the Rockaway St. Patrick's Day Parade. It's intimate, like you, like it's yep. not like you know. No one goes. No tourists are lined up there. It's people who every year they get there. They get you're you're walking by. I don't know nine or ten well known drinking establishments that have their own personality. 
the, 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 the civil servants that serve that community, the firefighters, the police officers, sanitation workers, the, these, these are families that have New York through their blood. You know, it's, it's called the Irish Riviera for a reason. And I really enjoyed it. But the thing that I loved about the Rockies, it was not, it was not a Democratic bastion by, by traditional sense. A lot of independents, a lot of Republicans. In fact, the guy that replaced me, a guy named Bob Turner, who I ran against, good yeah. guy, really like him, Republican from from Breezy, I believe. Yeah. I just – but the people there, the I know it's a cliche, the absolute salt of the earth. And I – of all the people who I always felt I have to make amends to these people, the only time I said I wish I was back in Congress was when Hurricane Sandy hit, that I couldn't be there for the people of the Rockaways. Every, I mean, a lot of times I'm, I'm thinking good riddance, but – and that is – so I just, just love the rock, and I stay in touch with some of the folks there. I've taken Jordan on the ferry down to come go visit to kind of walk around and, and see it. I, I if um, you know, my, I will know I have made my my life come, would come a perfect circle if I could someday find a retirement bungalow down there. But now it's getting so fancy down there. I don't know if there's any such thing as. <laughs> but I am. I, well, was it was well, it great down me, there? They must have loved you. Oh yeah. Well, they voted for me yeah, overwhelmingly. I had the guardian angels uh, down there. Uh, I went in the company of Andrew Giuliani, who's running for governor. Did he get a good reception there? Oh, very good. And Rudy. Rudy was there. Oh, it's like platinum. You know, other than cops who say, hey, you know, when he was mayor, we got all zeros. We were heroes, but we got all zeros. Because remember, they protested against yeah. Giuliani because he wouldn't give him a pay raise. But the interesting thing about the Rockways is I'm sure I didn't see him because I had to leave in order to get here. Chuck Schumer would be there. He's at every parade. Yeah. You were at every parade. A Beam, who lived there in the Ponset, Jewish mayor, right, was not liked in the Rockaways. Did not did not receive a good reception in the parade. What's the difference? You had an actual mayor who lived in the Ponset. Nobody, when I tell him, A Beam lived in the Ponset, he didn't get a good reception. You know, I wanted to. So here's the fundamental ethos of the Rockaways that one helped me get elected, and two I think exist today. Because of the geography of literally being a peninsula separate from the mainland of, of well, the United States, but separate from the mainland of New York, there is this notion that we are the forgotten communities. And so when I campaigned, my staff would always say to me, you know, it's about 6% of my district. They say for 6% of my district, you're there like 40% of the time. Yeah. What is your obsession? It's because, like, it, and they get, but when you do the opposite. When you do make the effort, they're so appreciative that irrespective of their political stripes, and it's pretty conservative, like I said, a lot of conservatives down there, they appreciate the idea that you're, you're giving it a try, and they appreciate the idea that you're, that you're showing up in the literal sense of the word. And I'll tell you something else about parades. They're, they're really a lot, of, they're a lot of fun there. It's always There's a great breakfast that goes on before it. They honor you know, like 20 people each year. It's it's just really great. You've got the, the all, all all of the step bands that are down, the step dancers that are. It's just it's really great. And oh, something else, and I think you might have mentioned this in the intro. They're the beginning of the parade season. Yes. Rockaway kicks it off now. Just about every Sunday, you better check the traffic reports because there are parades going on all over right through to, to September. Um, and so it's also the symbolic beginning of it all. And it's often really cold. The weather's off. You got to be really. Yep. You got to be really in there. Like sometimes it's rained really badly. It's been. It's always pretty cold because it's this early. But I notice uh, the other elected officials will all clump together and march with their groups. When it came to Never. Chuck Schumer, he would separate at some point. Maybe at the start he'd be with a whole group because he didn't want to obviously diss the Democrats or the other elected officials. But he'd always break off. 
Likewise, you would do the same thing. Yep. You might have started initially with a group because you wanted to pay respects. You don't want to be considered uh, an outlier. And then at some point in the parade, you would break off, and you'd be dancing. You'd be running up and down with the barricades, yep. high-fiving people. Did you learn that from Chuck Schumer, who did exactly the same? He'd always had the bullhorn. Or was that just part of your natural uh, You know, early on in my career, and even to today probably, it's hard to figure out where Chuck Schumer ended and I began. Like, it's tried to answer that question. Because remember, before I ran, I also worked for Chuck. So I was kind of advancing parades. I was getting to make sure the batteries were working in the bullhorn, all that kind of stuff. But it's it's really should be Politics 101. First of all, at the front of the parade, you have the smallest crowds have gathered on the street. The parade hasn't started yet. Correct. And so politicians are like, I'm going to go to the front. No, you don't want to be at the front. There's no people on the side. The people in the parade can't see you. So you're just relying on the people on the side. So one, it's common sense. Two, what is the one group that politicians should never want to be associated with? Politicians, <laughs> right? You don't want to be in it. You want to look a little bit different. And that was is the same reason I never wore a, a, a suit jacket. Like, I wore it for our photograph for New York Magazine yes, yes. the other day. It was the first time I had one on in a while. It's, that's why I always wear a tie, shirt sleeves rolled up. Anthony, I got to tell you, when I first saw you, because you know me, I was at all the parades. All yeah. the parades. You were I, good at them, too. It was like a mosh pit for me. I'd be diving in, even when they were adversary. Chuck Schumer sometimes had limited staff. It could be one or two of his staff, when they'd hold a sign, your U.S. Senator Chuck Schumer with... Uh, 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 pointing down at him like people didn't know was Chuck it was then you would follow at a distance at your U.S. Congressman Anthony Weiner with the same thing the arrow pointing wow. down at you I don't remember the arrows but here's a funny <laughs> funny Chuck Schumer story so Chuck Schumer who's the majority leader of the United States Senate th- third in line to the presidency yes. is that what he is yeah. something like that so <laughs> this guy he would ride me he would say you got to frame me with the sign so a photographer for the Thursday weeklies, for the wave and the yeah, other weeklies. Yeah. So when they take the picture, it has my name and the, po- you know, the, the sign right behind me. Um, and I'm like, Chuck, I'm pretty sure with or without the sign, they're going to know who you are. But one other funny little Chuck thing, I remember we had a – it was when Chuck was just a member of Congress, uh, uh, 1726 King Highway – and I would have to get the Thursday newspapers, the community newspapers. Yes. As you know how important they are to politicians, Absolutely. they're amazing. And by the way, most New Yorkers who really read that before they read the Times, before they read the Post, they read the... the yeah, the, that's the, the only way to find out what's going on in what's your What's really going on. So um, they would always have Schumer this, Schumer that. As I was his press secretary, that was good news. But the Daily News once had, Paul says, I can't remember what the issue was. He referred to Chuck as Paul in the headline. And he's like, Schumer. It's only four more letters than Paul. Call up the editor and tell him how upset you are that they didn't put Schumer in the head. This is the guy who went on to become this guy. That was his level of detail. Paul, I'm like, and if, so Chuck, I'm pretty sure they know who you are. But yeah, the, the sign was a thing. The bullhorn was a thing. And um, I've never seen the movie, Wiener the movie. We can do an episode on that one of these days. I never yeah, saw it. Yeah. But it apparently has a lot of scenes of me marching in parades, yes. looking super happy, even when things were oh, going no, sideways. I, look, I, I love it. You name the parades, I'm there. Yep. When you were in office, both in city council and Congress, you were at every parade, even if it had nothing to What was your favorite? My favorite parade of all of them, definitely the Puerto Rican Day Parade. Boy, that's amazing. Because people thought I was Puerto Rican. Vaya, Cortes Silva, vaya. But also the crowds were so big, oh. it, it like envelops you. I, I love the Puerto Rican... Uh, I, the Puerto Rican Day Parade, 
The Dominican Parade in Queens is amazing, just really amazing. Um, obviously, Salute to Israel is – I would do that one several times because, you know, Jews are late all the time, so I had to go back yes, and do the parade three course, or four times. Um, uh, that, that was a really great one. But I got to tell you, that the, I think it's the Independence Parade. Jimmy Otto might – I got to call him and ask him. The Independence Parade on Staten Island. There's one really big one, Fourth of July, I think. Memorial Day. Memorial Day. Oh, Monster parade, yes, and a and everywhere right a, down Forest Avenue, oh, a ton of fun. But I, I, I mean, I, I hate to to say it, well, but, but I, give I, you an idea. Yeah. They have huge parades in Staten Island. Tomorrow they have their annual St. Patrick's Day parade. Uh, it's the last order of the ancient order of Hibernians. They will not allow gays and lesbians who wear any designation of their sexuality to march. I don't think you would have ever anticipated this, Anthony. Show you how Republicans have evolved. Almost all the major Republicans there refused to march in the parade. Joe Borelli, who's got a safe seat. Uh, Nicole Maliotakis. I think the only one marching who's a Republican uh, is Vito Fasella. And he basically said, I'm the borough president. I got to march. But you could not have predicted that 10 years ago. I 100% agree. In fact, I think, you know, my wife wrote, my uh, Huma wrote a a book recently, an amazing book. You should, everyone should get it. Where she refers to me and Hillary marching in the St. Patrick's Day Parade, and I said, this did not happen. Because when we were coming up, no one did. Not just, not, I mean, I think even Republicans stopped marching in that, in that parade. Yeah, some of them did. So that it has now come a full circle that not only do no AOH parades have the restriction except this one, but Republicans and Democrats are like, I, I think it's progress, and it's probably – I mean, they're probably going to have to bend well, sooner or later, right? I learned that when I was in Dublin, I was in Finlock, Coolock, Valley, Fairmont, ready to set up a guardian angel group. They had some tough neighborhoods. I was there for the annual St. Patrick's Day Parade. The mayor was named Fagan, a Jewish guy. The parade paled in comparison to ours on Fifth Avenue. And there's floats with gays and lesbians, and I'm like... But this is the heart of the land of era, era. You know, the shamrocks, the shillelies, uh, the leprechauns. And they uh, allowed all of that at a much earlier time. Times have changed. Up next, you got to give us a review of the recent articles that have been written describing uh, the Anthony Weiner on the left, Curtis Sleeva Show on the right. Show because a lot of people have decided to uh, put their two cents in. There's a lot, yeah, no, a lot of people have a lot to say. You know, it's funny. We're not talking about them, but they're talking about us. I, is that good? I, I understand also from our data about the show, a lot of people are hearing about the show and tuning in for the first time, which is also good. Oh, my God. And then we got to talk about the poop man. That's why they're tuning in. I went are looking for the poop man up at the Bronx. He said he wanted to shoot hoops. I said, this white boy can jump. I'm ready to take you onto the asphalt. It's the left versus the right. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. Wow, the lineup is kicking here at WABC. We were talking about Jewish boxers. And who sends us a memo? Michael Mbaricic, Rudy Giuliani, who was out at that St. Patrick's Day parade. Uh, I was with him earlier, but I had to leave. He said, hey, it's Slapsy Maxi Rosenblum. That's a great name. I had totally forgotten that. That's another guy. I love parades. And by the way, quickly, 
He came to that state Republican, New York State Convention. Who is this? In Garden City, Rudy. Oh, yeah? Andrew is running for governor. I'm supporting him. So, you know, the state party leadership is not supporting Andrew. Obviously, they don't like me. I'm an outlier. They had no idea that Rudy would come to the convention. They didn't invite him. Uh, Pataki came the day before. They they let him. They didn't. He was persona non grata. Rudy rolls in. The delegates are hugging him, loving him. They had to acknowledge him from the stage. And quite frankly, uh, you had Zeldin, uh, who has the party leadership support. He was too hyped up. He's trying too much to show fire. It didn't go well. Then you have uh, Harry Wilson, who's in. He's just thrown $6 million in. Did a very good job 10 years ago running against Monopoly, but lost as a Republican. But he, he, you can see, you can see he's. But what's the footing with the party as it relates to Rudy Giuliani? I mean, because I know obviously Andrew didn't get the the nomination, but are they trying to push him? Aside? I mean, if I were they, and yeah. they're not taking advice from me. And by the way, I want to hear how they received you too, because sure, sure. you're an interesting case. If I were they, I would, imb- I would not endorse Andrew perhaps, but I would embrace him, right? I mean, the Giuliani name must mean something. Plus, you know. He's Andrew's going to be around a while. He's a relatively young guy. Oh, it yeah. seemed like the strategy would be to embrace him, maybe not endorse him, but you know, say, "Look, you're welcome here." Maybe next time. Uh, Anthony, major, major mistake, and it started in Staten Island because you know Staten Island. You might as well put a statue to Rudy at Mount Laredo. He's platinum out there. When they were thinking of candidates for the Republican nomination, they never even interviewed Andrew Giuliani. Now think of it. I got interviewed by Queens, Bronx, Manhattan, had no intention of endorsing me. They were going to endorse me. And even though they didn't like me, they still, the courtesy yeah. of doing an interview. They didn't even interview Andrew. Now, you imagine you're Rudy. That's, that's Giuliani land. Not even a call, nothing. So now we were at uh, the Annadale Terrace the other day. Rudy spent hours there. We were signing up uh, Staten Island Republicans. And Rudy said, I'm going to live out here if necessary. He is personally hurt. He felt that a lot of the Republicans had turned their back on him, never even bothered to call, say, you know, I'm going with Zeldin, I'm going with Astrid. Just a courtesy call. Mm-hmm. And, boy, this guy's got the fire in his face. He's out in the Rockways. Well, today. let me ask you, does it reflect Zeldin's insecurity about maybe losing the, the nomination? Or is it just – like, because my general tactic is I always act like I'm totally cool with my opponents. Like – I, I've never, I'm never, I say a crossword, but I always tell my organization, don't act like you're worried about them because that sends the wrong kind of message. Oh, absolutely. It sounds like they're acting very nervous about Andrew. Is it because they're fearful that if he gets any traction combined with the Giuliani name and this could oh, be yeah. a mess? Well, he's ahead in all six polls that have been taken. He's well ahead of Zeldin. We were in Bellport, way out there past Patchogue. Uh, we took the Long Island Railroad out there. I was there with Andrew. It was a pro-Zeldin crowd. There was about 80 people showed up. Most of them became converts because Zeldin doesn't have the fire in yeah, his belly. but Zeldin's going to be – he's got plenty of money on the air. Yeah, I but imagine look, Andrew Giuliani's not. You always – you know, the height of your popularity when you have a name is at the beginning. It only is down from there. I mean, I, I, I still would rather have Zeldin's hand than, than Giuliani's well, hand. Well, his, his problem is you have this Harry Wilson who's jumped in. It's plunked down $6 million in What does TV that do? Who, who, do? who does he take from? I think he takes from Zeldin. You see, Giuliani is the only Trumper candidate, and you know the hardcore voters. And you know what primaries are like, the hardcore, the zealots come out. He's the only one at that convention who mentioned, he mentioned three people, Ronald Reagan, naturally his father, Rudy Giuliani, and Donald Trump. None of the other candidates mention him. None of the candidates. Yeah, because I think you've got a problem. If you're going to be a successful Republican nominee in this state, 
in a general election, put us the primary aside for a moment, if Zeldin thinks he's going to be on the general election ballot, the Trump stuff hurts. You got to win the primary. Now, yeah. that was reversed for me because his people know I'm, I'm a never Trumper. They call me a rhino. Uh, Mateo was the Trumper. He flew the Trump flag. Right. He had all the money. I had I had Ugats. I had Bupkis. But I'd been in those neighborhoods for years. And the issue was law and order. It was public safety. And I think uh, even the people who supported Trump who were disappointed in me said, no, nah, but when it comes to the city, we don't know this guy, Mateo. We know you. Right. We also, know what you're capable of doing. Also, the beret vote must be at least 4%, yes. right? Yes, it absolutely. Must be. It must be at absolutely. least 4%. Styling and profiling. I mean, I, 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 I tell you, if I'm, you know, as a Democrat, I hope they nominate Giuliani because I think he'd have the toughest time in a general election. It's just be I, – I think the same exact reason he's a, he might be strong in a primary, I think he'd just – he'd have a tough time in general election. I mean I have to tell you about about my impression of Zeldin so far is ugh, it's like not a lot. You're not alone. There's not – nothing fires me. And, and ironically, because Hochul is kind of a blank slate, it's actually probably better for Democrats. Like we, she's probably a stronger candidate than a more – you know maybe even the Cuomo would have been because – I don't think any Republicans get so fired up to throw the bums out when it's Kathy Hochul, who they probably couldn't pick out of a lineup right now, you know, and who doesn't have a well, record. Let me that leads to our next question. We saw that Eric Adams had a dinner with Andrew Cuomo, the former governor, for two hours a few weeks ago. Now he has a dinner very publicly at Scotto's uh, in uh, Midtown Manhattan, again, two hours with Chris Christie, the former Cuomo governor. did, yeah, right. Cuomo did, exactly, yeah. Uh, he keeps being asked, what office are you running for? He's got the ads on TV. He said, no, I'm not running for AG because they say you're running for AG. What is this? What, why is he doing these public meetings with high-profile elected officials and obviously Christie wants to run for the Republican nomination? Yeah. What's the purpose of I don't know. This? I'd rather put so many those in my eyes than talk about Andrew Cuomo anymore, but... Look, I think that what he is probably going to do is invest the money in some kind of a shadow campaign to improve his reputation, to clean up his reputation as best he can. And then he's going to do a poll and he's going to find out that he can't beat Hochul in a primary. And that'll be the end of it. That's what I think is going to wind up happening. But I think this he's doing what would be the first step that you would do if you were going to try to test the waters. You won't test the waters now. We know what the polls are going to show. He's got $20 million in the bank. Normally, you wouldn't be spending this early. But in his case – and by the way – Except it's, what is it, June, the primary. So it's not a long time away. So it'll be a short sprint. He'll put a bunch of money on the air. I think he eventually decides he's not going to run. Up next, we've got to talk about Poop Man. You've been stalling. I know. I notice you're, you <laughs> are not comfortable with this subject. And believe me, when I got it this morning, I didn't think, all right, got to talk to Curtis about Poop. It is but, incredible. You know. I don't know if you ever saw the song Basketball Jones by Cheech and Chung. This guy... It's basketball, Jones. I don't understand. This guy threw a poop on someone in the subway, and you want to talk about his his basketball chops? Because you got to do a deep dive on this guy. He's emotionally disturbed, no doubt about it. True, Nobody true. knows better about emotionally and disturbed persons. And we persons. shouldn't joke about that aspect of it. Well, right. let's face it. I'm somewhat there already. That's why I get along so well. But I, I wanted to play this guy. Right, I am. When we come back, are we going to a break? Of course. Yeah, okay. So when we come back from the break, here's what I think. I'm going to tell you yes. why poop throwing is a lot like killer sharks, like white sharks, um, like uh, uh, what, what are they? What, jaws, what, like jaws. jaws. Right. It's it, to me, it's exactly the same, and probably right. you'll figure out what I'm saying when we get back. It's the left versus the right. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. 
77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. Slapsy match. The 77 WABC <laughs> debate. Heavyweight slugfest. You're right. They don't even have you nothing. assigned to a weight nothing. class. They, don't have, they have nothing. They have <laughs> and this other tomato can who's just passing through. <laughs> but the poop man has dominated local headlines and national headlines, even with the Ukrainian crisis uh, taking place, the invasion by Russia of the Ukraine, now 11 days. And this guy, what a piece of work, Anthony Weiner, 44 previous arrests. And he's at 241st Street. It's the last stop in the number two train. There's a woman just sitting waiting for a train to take her. I'm pretty sure it was to work. I'm not necessarily sure what she was doing, but minding her own business. He tries to flirt with her. She gives him no play. As you know, she she just keeps looking forward. She's frightened. He then goes around the side. He brings out a plastic bag of poop, shoves it in her face, rubs it in her face, Leaves. Wait a minute. Is this is, is all of this backs? Is all of this color true? Like he was just yeah. trying to talk to her, then goes to the back, poops yeah. in a bag. Oh, I because I didn't. I just saw the video. And, and all all video. It. Got it. Okay. Right. All, video. all right. So he goes into Bronx County Criminal Court. They hit him with all kinds of charges. He's now giving the judge a hard time. He's telling f you, blah 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 blah. So you would think the judge would say, this guy is titched. He's ubots. He's, he's got emotional issues. Let me send him 72 hours for a psychiatric you think the judge would say, enough of this crap? You would think. <laughs> and bring back the report. Bring him back here in 72 hours. Let, let's see what the uh, shrinks have to say uh, at Jacoby Hospital up in the Bronx. She didn't do that. She didn't hold him in contempt of court because he's screaming and yelling and dropping the F-bomb on her. She gla- she cuts him loose, says, ah, we can't uh, issue bail on this, even though there's a number of charges. Okay, he gets cut loose. As soon as he gets cut loose, the Brooklyn detectives of the DA of Kings County, Eric Gonzalez, are waiting right outside. They take him into custody. They transport him to 100 Skimmerhorn Street. He's arrested because uh, he was on video attacking a uh, Jewish guy in Crown Heights, spitting on him, cursing him out, hate crime. The judge there decides to cut him loose also. So twice within one day, he's cut loose. He then goes back to where he's staying because he, they said he was he's, staying in shelter. Home, he's homeless, right? And not when you look at this video. He looks like he's in a Holiday Express uh, uh, inn somewhere. He does this video. You see all this basketball paraphernalia. He's got the ba- Wilson basketball. Wait, he's he does got- a video. Is this a TikTok? Is this Facebook? What is this? No, it's his own, uh, I believe, Facebook. I mean, I've seen the video. I don't know okay. wh- what he posted. On. And he's talking about playing basketball, but then he's saying, I'll play your baseball. Come on up here. And then he talks about, and if it really gets to that, I'll pull my nine, my AK. He starts talking about, you know, death right. and destruction. Uh, but he says... But I want to be positive. That's the end of the uh, video. But wait, but this is a very long walk for the for the fight. Uh, there's two ways we can go here, and I'm going to let you decide. You're in charge. There's some serious issues here. Sure. Some serious issues of mental illness. Some serious issues in the court system. And then there's the fact that this is a new crime that even I had not even heard that it was a thing. Pooping in a bag and throwing it at someone is this new crime that everyone around the country is now talking about. I would kind of prefer if we can just make fun of that. 
Look, this is heavy stuff. I get it. And there's a lot of serious issues here. And I don't understand how on heaven's earth the guy was released. And and the guy's accused of some, some pretty serious things in, in the midst of all Two this. Two different venues. Twice. But you're, you're, you're famous for patrolling the subway. Yes. Have you seen poop throwing? Now, you, you've seen it in yes. other places. Yes, I've But seen is it. poop throwing a thing that goes on? Do I have to be worried about this when I'm thinking of my things to keep me up at night? Should I be, or is this a little bit like the great white shark thing where, all right, every once in a while you hear about a spate of shark attacks, but really it's never going to happen. No, and I don't have to worry about it. It's random. Uh, generally, uh, an EDP, emotionally disturbed person, will wallow in their own defecation, their own urine. They need help desperately. Uh, but on occasion, I have seen while patrolling as guardian angels and sometimes by myself down there, uh, usually a man, one time a woman, who would take a cup that had urine in it and throw it at a passerby, you right, know, in but, a rage. But this seems like this guy went and made a special delivery yeah, situation. His own. his own. Yeah, all right. Well, this is not a – it's not – I am I just want to – if you want to write this down, I am against poop throwing. As, yes, and I, I hope so. I believe that poop throwers should be prosecuted well, to the full extent of the law. He says in the video, this is to warn all women to stay away from me. I don't think you need – from the looks of this guy, it doesn't seem that you need to repeat that charge. But by the way, in a, very, in a serious tip, I, I don't understand how that type of assault is one of the ones you can't have bail for. I didn't think it was, to be honest. I know obviously it is, or else the judge would have imposed bail. The judge went out of their way to say, I'm prohibited in this case. But that guy was charged with assault. I didn't think that assault was something you couldn't you be think, bail right? for. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's problematic. But, but let me, that's a weapon. As yeah, far as I'm concerned, just, that me, is a weapon. I hear you. But let me just take this case, and I'll give you the following example. Let's say the guy got arrested 40 times. Yeah, 44 in this 44 case. 44 times. But every single time he showed up for his hearing, yeah. which is what bail is supposed to be. Sure. That's what's supposed to be to make sure you come back. Sure. He has shown a record, as crazy as it might be, of always coming back. And returning to stand before the bar of justice to get whatever penalty he had coming or have a trial or an arraignment or whatever it is. That's why this this issue is kind of complicated because bail is not supposed to try to get bad guys off the street. It's not even supposed to try to determine whether you're a bad guy. It's primarily to determine are you going to harm to yourself. Sure. And this one clearly did look like he was going to do harm to himself. Right. Or whether you're going to come back. This guy had a perfect record of coming back when he was supposed to. And remember, the judge writes always – uh, release him under supervised release. They never explain. Does this mean you get a bracelet and they can track you and you're under curfew? There is no supervision. The, uh, pro- pro- probationary workers are so understaffed. Well, wait, no, probation would not have jurisdiction yet. I don't believe. Well, how else could you monitor somebody I don't under believe supervision? That, I don't believe that you. He wasn't that. That's a sentence, isn't it? When you get no, mo- no, you get su- a I supervised get, release. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's probation. I I think that if it's an assault, and we've covered this a lot, you and me, when it's an assault, a judge who we have to we elect, we give him the, the him or her the, the 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 keys to these decisions should be able to say this person is a harm to others. If we let them return to the street, we think he's going to commit other crimes in the interim, and they should have kept him. But I got to tell you, I am all done with 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 poop cases. Let's hope that that's the last time we have any any poop related crime in the city of New York. But imagine this is the one crime that has gotten the most attention. Yeah. Other than obviously uh, the forty uh, year old Asian woman who was thrown in. Well, front you of know the why? Tr- it's because it brings back. Our sense, like, what's the most apocalyptic thing that can happen? Yeah. What's the most random, crazy thing that can happen? Pushed on the tracks, someone throws crap on you. 
yeah, I mean, this is the kind of stuff that strikes at you that even if you're in a great neighborhood, bright light, brightly sun outside, even if you have a friend with you, it's the kind of thing that strikes it. Is it? And also, it's the stuff the tabloids love. Well, I mean, they love this. Remember, stuff. he does a video; it goes viral. He's actually engaging on the video, so he's not so out of it that he can't string right. words together. And he's talking about, hey, he's got all the NBA paraphernalia on. He's got the hat. He's got a jacket with NBA stars on, uh, yeah. like he got it at the NBA uh, store on Fifth Avenue. He's challenging people to hoops to play baseball. I don't. I, how do homeless people have Facebook pages? I'm telling you, social media is the root of all evil. I I think social. Yeah. Well, I they should not let people talk about poop throwing on their all social right, but, media uh, accounts. We become an embarrassment to the rest oh, of the country. Oh, stop it! We do because 49, 49 states allow judges. To oh, make oh, decisions. I see. Oh, I thought you meant about the guy. And New York con- continues. So you have Hasty, Speaker of the Assembly. The one who's most firm on this is uh, Cousins, Stuart Cousins, who is the uh, state senate. I know, but they make leader. they make an argument that's that's not unreasonable. That look, this law's only been in place for about a year, a little more than a year. Let's see how it works out. The data is still out. Whether it's a real problem. One thing you don't want to do, and it's hard when, especially when you're sitting at the microphone of a talk radio station, is legislate based on a headline there's a lot of data that shows that people who are arrested ha- are more or more likely for the same exact crime not be able to make bail if they're people of color and that's a problem in our society that's worth trying to fix now i agree adams agrees you agree that that the risk to others should be a consideration they can take in but it's a it's a tough constitutional question now eric adams uh went up to albany and got rejected uh, Hochul, who he's become very friendly with from day one, as soon as he won the mayoralty, remember, Hochul was there at his celebration party. She does mutual press conferences. It's been a boost to him, and it's been a boost to her. It's been, it's been good for both of them. It's it the iced rare, it, out uh, Tish James, who is the uh, female black candidate for governor from Brooklyn, who knew Eric Adams best, not Hochul, who is from Western New York. He obviously made a political decision. I'm staying with the present governor. I'm not going to rock the boat. But how come he doesn't go to Albany and say, you know, I'm putting all my political capital on you. I did so against a lifelong fellow Democrat from Brooklyn, Tish James. Is you got to lead some effort here to amend this law. I I mean, and, and he did. And remember, you know, criminal law statutes, that's what the legislature does in their classic, in the classic sense. That's their job. They passed this law not long ago. A lot of people voted in favor of it, and they believe that changing it this in this way would, would amount to basically not giving their law enough time. I get it. I agree. I don't know what more we can add to that. You might – will you say he should do more? I think that he's – Well, I'll give an example. Uh, if you were an advisor of his, because you've run for mayor, and uh, I believe you would have done a better job in these areas because you're more in, in connection with people, average people who ride the subways. I, I really don't think Eric Adams has – uh, going back to the time he was a transit cop, yes, that's how he made his living for 10 years. But he really is, is, is no longer down in the subways on a regular basis. There, he puts this full court press plan into effect with health care experts, uh, with volunteers and with police to help the homeless, to help the emotionally disturbed and to get rid of the violators. He's not arresting them, but to make right. them leave the system. Crime has gone up 200% in the subways in one week. And it was bad before. It's getting worse. All right. 
First of all, a little, think, a, a it, little it, bit about the 200% stuff. You got to be careful. You know, you, you, month over month and, and week over week things can be distorted by you have a couple of statistics. I will tell you this. Crime is 40% lower now than it was under Giuliani. Okay, so let's keep in mind that it's from a very, 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 very low base. We have this little this crime spike that's going on. Even one crime is too many. I'm just saying, let's not be yeah, so but apocalyptic. This is the difference. Giuliani gets elected, sworn in 93, 2,000 murders a year, multiple shootings unsolved. People see progress, quality of life progress. Right. They're not seeing any no, progress am, now I with Eric just, I just, I'm trying to bring, yeah, no, I'm I'm doing context. Actually, maybe that should be my nickname for the show. Anthony, the context wiener, you know, not as exciting as <laughs> heavyweight champ. But um, I'm just trying to bring some context that crime had gone so low under, under uh, Giuliani, under Bloomberg, under de Blasio, that it had reached such a low level that now, yes, you get these weird distortions, like 200%. Yeah, it went from four to eight. Yes, that's a lot. And I'm not minimizing the victims of the crime. That's a real crime. If it's one, that's too many. And I think that Adams, first and foremost, got elected because of the perception that he was going to handle crime. He has a lot at stake. I think he is leaning into this notion of bail, of of fixing this thing. I think he understands the limitations that he faces, and he has to pick his spots. One thing I will say, if I'm Adams, I'm saying, listen— Yes, I'm interested in improving the criminal laws, but I'm interested more in the things that are purely New York City things, our tax rates, our red light cameras, our board of education. That is just New York City. Give me the power of those things back. And maybe he's making the tactical decision like I'll beat the drum at press conferences from time to time. But the place that I'm going to really put my muscle is behind these things that I as the mayor. And that requires time and energy. And we have not seen the police commissioner, the new police commissioner around. She's almost like off the radar screen. Even the post and the news acknowledge that said, why isn't she taking a prominent role in rolling these programs out? Now, I understand she's got to learn the culture uh, she got to learn a lot of things about a department. That- it it might be that, or it might be you know. Remember the conflict that Bratton had with Giuliani in that, like you can only have one chief crime fighter totally in the administration, understood. and it could be that Adams is saying, "I'm the chief crime right. fighter." But I'm- Bratton, remember, had the pedigree. He had been transit police commissioner with Dinkins. He was uh, Rudy's first police. Yeah, commissioner. well, this this commissioner has a lot of pedigree. Also, she's got experience in this. But I'm just saying that you might not want to hold her accountable for a decision that she might not be making. This might be a political decision that that Mayor Adams is making. When anyone's going to talk about crime, it's going to be me. The buck stops with me. I want everyone to see me as the crime fighter in this city, and that includes that include. I want to be at every press conference, and I'm going to be the one speaking, and the commissioner is going to stand behind me. Maybe this is him symbolically saying, "I'm the crime fighter in chief." I just think. When I look at these things, I want to see results. Style stuff, I believe we all make a lot of it, we in the media. Let's get me talking to myself as a media person now. I'm getting used to it. But I also think that it's not nearly as important all as right. the results. Today, perfect example. I was in the Rockaways earlier for the start of the St. Patrick's Day Parade. Uh, Andrew Giuliani was out there with his father, Rudy Giuliani. Obviously, crowds coming up. Guess what the number one issue was? We weren't talking about the increase in crime and the disappointment in Eric Adams as not being up to that law and order status yet. It was just saying, is he kidding? He's removing the vaccine mandates. Good. He's not forcing our kids to wear masks in school. Good. He's repealing that. But if you're five years old or less, you're in kindergarten, pre-K, the kids still have to wear the mask. The mothers were like eplectic, Anthony. Oh, come on. Eplectic. Come on. I mean, it makes no sense. Yeah, of course it makes sense. They're the only unvaccinated kid people in the city right now. 
Or the five-year-olds. Anthony, the mess got to go. Gotta I, I, go. I get it, and I'm thrilled not to have them, and Jordan's thrilled not to have them in his, his school, and we just came from hockey. We didn't have to wear them anywhere in Chelsea Piers. Everyone's thrilled, but now I mean, now... Is, it, is your son like you, a goalie? No, I'm, you I'm, gotta I'm, wear a mask. I'm fearful. I'm fearful he's going to want to be one. You were a goalie, right? Yeah, I still am. Um, even though sometimes my team thinks my equipment bag in the crease would be more effective. But but no, the the point is that it, it it's not like it makes zero sense. You know, I don't, now people fighting about masks are just because they just feel like fighting. Because it's all we're all going in the same direction. We're getting rid of the masks. We're getting back to work. We're doing things. The argument for the five-year-olds is... This is the community that we put regulations for to make them as safe as we absolutely possibly can. And this is a community that is not vaccinated. It's the last one left. uh, That goes part and parcel with getting people back into the empty office buildings. It seems that Governor Hochul almost folded on a five-day work week this past week saying, well, can you please come back three or two days? We got to discuss that because it affects the uh, recovery of the city of New York, right here with Anthony Weiner on the left, yours truly, Curtis Sliwa on the right. Get in on podcasts if you missed the previous episodes. This is uh, this is uh, number four in the can. Just go to wabcradio.com. It's the left versus the right. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. Anthony Weiner, this past week, Governor Hochul of New York, blinked uh, in relationship to uh, Mayor Eric Adams and many of the CEOs of Fortune 500 companies were saying to the workforce, especially in the private sector. you got to return to the office buildings. you got to work five days a week. They weren't getting any traction on that, so Governor Hochul said, well, maybe we just have to learn to accept a three- or two-day work week here while they continue to do their virtual work from home. Is that throwing in the towel? I think it's her stipulating to reality that I think there are a lot of businesses that are structured that way. Now, I'm with Eric Adams, so I think that – Bosses can be good citizens by demanding that their employees get back into the office. It's a reasonable thing to ask, and I also think it's going to. I think it's going to make people more more productive. I mean, I don't know everyone's situation, um, but I think it was just Hochul kind of saying what she thought the reality was, and not what she wanted it to be. Well, you know, uh, Anthony, I've uh, spoken with a lot of people who are working from home. And I don't think a lot of people realize they're working two jobs. They have two computers set up. You would know, never yeah, know that yeah. as their boss or their manager. But as long as they're getting the work done, that's really all you care if they're productive. But many of them are earning two incomes now, whereas before when they had to come into the office, slip into the office, naturally they can only do one job because they were being supervised. So how do you suddenly get them back there? I don't know, but look, you know, the economy's doing remarkably well by a lot of indication. Jobs are, you know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of job creation going on, historic levels. Incomes are rising. People are coming back to the workforce. Are they coming back to the physical workplace is what's important to a big city like New York City. We want them physically at their desk. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's going to take a while to unwind what it meant for us all to be for 15, 18 months 
at home working, and now now it's changing. But thank God that it is. It sure beats the alternative that it was unsafe to come to the office. Well, let me tell you something. Just to recap, the analytics that uh, Anthony Weiner shared with all of us, that was shared with you by management here at WABC, indicated the questions that people most have on their minds. And I mean, why? No, but, but we asked why. There, but first of all, we should say thank you. I mean, to the people that are tuning in and are listening. I know there are some people that aren't big fans of mine and are giving me a chance, and I really appreciate that. The numbers are up, and so to our listeners who are welcoming into this conversation, I want to express my gratitude. It is interesting to see when they're asked in the follow-up surveys, like, what if, what if you're doing? As I said earlier, they, they want to hear more, more Curtis. 72% say one of their five reasons that they want to hear more Curtis. A lot of people want to know where my laptop is. There are a surprising number of people who, who we call the rubberneckers who just, like, don't want to miss it if something crazy happens again with either one of us. Because the crazy quotient for you is about 40%. With me, it's about 50% combined. <laughs> my my mom, Fran, the, the math teacher, would tell us it's probably odds are even, basically, every Saturday that something crazy will happen. Um, but I'm certainly glad that people are tuning in. It is also very surprising. Here it is. It's a month in. Yeah. Why is the Washington Post writing stories about Anthony Weiner and Curtis Lee on the radio? I mean, I get it, and I'm glad that they're interested and it's a colorful story and whatnot. Uh, but, you know, listen, don't listen, but why Washington Post? I mean, why do you care? What am I going to I mean, it's, it really— Well, I get the Washington it. Post, New York Magazine. Well, New York Magazine, i got to tell you, I was Errol Lewis had a story in, in New York Magazine about the Republican Convention— and in the hot take, one of the hot takes out of that, Rob Astorino says he can become governor if he gets, he does as well as Sliwa. Yeah, they do, know that. Do you buy that math? Yeah, they do, they do that. They've done the analytics. Uh, in fact, Andrew knows that, who I'm supporting, Rob Astorino, uh, Harry Wilson, who's now spending $6 million, jumps right in, ran for controller. Uh, ten years ago, did very well against Annapolis. So Republican. if you get your, what did you do percent-wise? Did you break 40 uh, no, cl- close to thirty. Really, close, close to, 30. to thirty. So they think thirty in a in a general in New York City will be. Yeah, that's. I can see the math. And you'd have to win. And the unexpe- you'd have to win the, the suburbs by twenty and upstate by like thirty. And to show you how I was poorly treated by the uh, leadership of the GOP statewide, they put together this whole Asian coalition. I won the Asian vote against uh, uh, the mayor uh, Eric Adams. And they acted like they put together the coalition. So here it is. We're at the dinner celebrating. And all the Asians are coming up to me. Yeah, it was great to be out there campaigning for you. I'm going to say, can't even get credit for Curtis, something like that. You're an outsider. Embrace it, brother. Embrace yeah, no, no. I, 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 I think, mean, you know what I'm saying? Like the liberation of being an outsider candidate, there's something to that that gives you the ability to say what you want, do what you want. Um, you know, so embrace it. I've been that my whole life since I was birthed. <laughs> you're the outsider. In Brooklyn Hospital. That's what we should. Hey, how about that? From the right, the heavyweight king. From the left, the consummate outsider, <laughs> Anthony Weiner, who's no longer allowed in. That's my problem. That's right. Remember, go to WABCRadio.com. Listen to the past shows on podcasts and listen to the other shows from all of our great shows here and our hosts and hostesses. It's the left versus the right. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. 77 WABC.
This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com. 